Good morning. Our reading this morning is taken from the book of Habakkuk. We're starting at the beginning of chapter 3 and reading the whole chapter. Hear the word of God. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. But he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Cushion in distress, the dwellings of Midian in an anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you thrashed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land in wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear you pierced his head. When his warriors stormed out to scatter us, Gloating as though about to deliver the wretched who were in hiding, you trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nations invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Amen. Thanks, uh, Maury, for reading us to us there from uh, Habakkuk chapter 3, and uh, we are going to get there. If you've uh, got a Bible, uh, you might like to have it open. Uh, we'll actually be uh, working our way through the whole book, and uh, this week, uh, a bit like last week, we come to a very rarely read part of the Bible. I think I shared last week, it was definitely my first sermon in 20 years of preaching on the book of Nahum, and uh, this morning, actually, it's my first sermon in 20 years of preaching on the book of Habakkuk. 
but perhaps uh, slightly differently to the book of Nahum. Uh, there is one verse in the book of Habakkuk that actually is well known. I don't think there's any well-known verses in the book of Nahum, but in the book of Habakkuk there is a verse that, that is well known, a verse that uh, probably if you've been around church for very long at all, uh, you will have heard, and uh, a verse that uh, is really very central uh, to the Christian faith. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 says, the righteous person will live by his faithfulness, or as often translated, the righteous person will live by faith. This verse is quoted uh, three times in the New Testament and really it is used as a very clear summary of what it means to be uh, one of God's people. If you want to live for God, if you want to follow Jesus, uh, if you want to uh, be a righteous person, what does that mean? It means to live by faith or to live by faithfulness. And so today as we come to the book of Habakkuk, uh, hopefully we're going to have a chance to unpack uh, what this verse means when it says that the righteous person will live by their faithfulness. And hopefully as we understand what Habakkuk means, actually help us to uh, live more faithfully as God's people. Uh, well, as we've been doing with these unfamiliar books of the Minor Prophets, we want to start by taking a little bit of a step back and having a look at the big picture of the book, how it all holds together. Uh, the book was uh, written um, sometime uh, in the, the late uh, 600 AD. Uh, it was after the destruction of the Assyrian Empire that we were talking about last week in the prophet Nahum, uh, but it was before uh, the people of Judah were, were taken into exile in Babylon. So uh, Assyria uh, was destroyed in about 612. Uh, Judah was taken into exile in about 580. So Habakkuk is prophesying in that kind of 20, uh, 30 year window there. The book has three main sections. Uh, the first two sections each have a question from Habakkuk in it and then an answer from God. And then there's a third section of the book, and that's the one that Maury read for us, and that is that poem that is, well, it's a prayer uh, in a poetic form that reflects uh, on Habakkuk's relationship with God and, uh, and thinks about who God is and makes a response to the discussion that he's had with God in the first two chapters. So what are these questions that Habakkuk asks for uh, God in, uh, in chapter 1, verse 2, and then chapter 1, verse 12, there where the two questions start? Both of these questions express concern that God is not doing enough to fix up the world. Both questions, Habakkuk says, God, why aren't you doing something more to address the sin and the mess in our world? Uh, look at the first question there in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 2. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Habakkuk looks around the world, and it sounds like his, that world of his day was very similar to the world of our day, and he just can't understand, why doesn't God do something? Why does God tolerate all these things? Why does God make him, uh, you know, look at all this evil happening? Where are you, God? This is not a crazy question, is it? 
assuming it's a question that you have probably asked at some point, if you've ever watched the news or scrolled through your social media feed. Why? Why, God? Why, why do you allow these wars? Why do you allow greedy people to take advantage of others? Why do you allow crime? Why do you allow domestic violence? Why do you, uh, do all the, why do you allow all these things that we keep seeing uh, every day? Why don't you come and do something about it? It's a big question, isn't it? And uh, it's kind of encouraging to me that the question is here in the Bible, that it's asked in the pages of God's Word. Because it reminds me that the Bible is a very real book. The Bible isn't a book that tries to hide away from the difficult issues of our world, that uh, pretends that we live in some kind of fairy tale wonderland. No, Bible recognizes the world that we live in and in fact even the inspired writers of the Bible ask these tough questions of God and so it's right for us too to be asking these big questions God is ready to hear our questions uh, and ready for us to bring them to him uh, at any time so we can do that and we see here that too uh, in particular with this question about evil in the world. If you struggle with that, if you wonder what God is up to, well, welcome to the club. Uh, Habakkuk felt that way. Uh, If you read through the Psalms, you'll see that other writers of the Bible felt that way too. So this is a common question, a question uh, that is uh, not unusual if you are asking it. What is the answer though? That's what we really want to know, isn't it? Well, uh, if we go back to Habakkuk, we see that God does have an answer for Habakkuk. Unfortunately, it's not really an answer that he wants to hear. Uh, God tells Habakkuk that he's not ignoring the problem of evil in the world. Instead, he's raising up the Babylonians uh, to come and bring judgment for what the people are doing. Uh, Verse 6 of chapter 1. God answers Habakkuk, I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. This is really not the answer that Habakkuk wants to hear. I mean, he does want God to do something about the sinfulness of the people, but he doesn't want the Babylonians. I mean, this is a solution that seems worse than the problem. Babylonians, well... Habakkuk, in Habakkuk's mind, they're even more uh, evil than the people of Judah, who he's complaining about. You can see part of Habakkuk's response to God in verse 13. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Habakkuk says, God, how can you send the Babylonians? They're worse. They're worse than the people of Judah. They're more cruel. They're more greedy. They're more oppressive. How can God allow them to prosper at the expense of Judah, who in Habakkuk's mind seem much less sinful? It seems kind of unfair, but in reality, this is exactly the covenant agreement that the people of God had with God in the old covenant. Back in the book of Deuteronomy, when God had brought Israel out of Egypt, 
Uh, they signed this covenant deal, this arrangement with God. You can read about it in the book of Deuteronomy. And the deal very clearly said, uh, God has brought them out to be his precious possession. If they live as his precious possession and are loyal to God, don't worship other gods. If they uh, love their neighbors as themselves and uh, treat one another as God's special people, then they'll find great blessing. But, God said, if they are disloyal to God, if they worship idols, if they disobey God's laws about loving one another and treating each other with justice, well then, what is God going to do? He's going to send uh, an enemy to overthrow them and to take them into exile. So what God is saying he's going to do here, it's exactly the deal that the people had. But I guess stepping back from the exact situation that the people of uh, Judah are struggling with in their covenant with God, uh, the larger problem I think Habakkuk struggles with as he thinks about the Babylonians coming in as God's judgment, it's a problem that we often deal with and that is a problem that if we're going to deal with sin, it involves us. So when we think, God, why won't you do something about our sinful world? What we really mean is, God, why won't you do something about all those other sinful people out there uh, who are doing terrible things? We don't like to acknowledge that maybe we ourselves are part of the problem. We don't like to acknowledge that actually we've also rejected God in different ways, that uh, we are mixed up in the same kind of sins as everybody else. And so if God is going to bring that perfect justice, if he is going to get rid of all the evil in the world, well, that doesn't just mean judgment for some little small uh, subsection of people. That actually means judgment for all of us. So this is the problem that God's answer raises for Habakkuk. And Habakkuk says, God, you know, how can you do this? Oh, you know, I don't understand. How can the Babylonians be an answer? Well, God's second response to Habakkuk is that uh, the Babylonians are not actually his last word on dealing with the problem of sin, which is good news. Uh, in God's second answer to Habakkuk, he says that actually there is a way for people to be saved a way for people to have a life in the midst of the judgment on sin, uh, in the midst of God dealing with the evil in our world. And this is where this famous verse about faith comes in. God is reassuring Habakkuk that he does have plans for the future, uh, that he is going to bring perfect justice, but that people can ha find salvation in the midst of that uh, read in chapter 2, verses, uh, verse 3, where God is answering Habakkuk. God is going to send a revelation at an appointed time, uh, and uh, it's a, this is what, what it says about it. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come. It will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. God says he's going to reveal his plans for the future and that, that's coming. Uh, Habakkuk, uh, you know, that, 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 is going to, that is going to come in the future. But in the meantime, as uh, they wait for God, the revelation of all God's plans, 
the righteous person, the person who wants to have a relationship with God, they can live by faithfulness. They can be saved by faithfulness. Now, if you've got a Bible in front of you, uh, you'll see that there's probably a little uh, footnote number there. And if you look down at the bottom, it says it can, the translation can either be faithfulness or faith. And uh, perhaps faith is a little bit more familiar uh, in terms of the, the translation that we read. But most commentators now think faithfulness is the better way to translate it. But I don't think it's meant to have a radically different meaning. Uh, they're both the same word in, in Hebrew, and I think faithfulness is just an enduring faith. Uh, it's a faith that keeps going. Faithfulness is faith, uh, not just in a moment. Uh, faithfulness is not just a kind of abstract belief that you might have, but faithfulness is an ongoing trust, in, uh, trust that goes on through thick and thin. And so, whether we say faith or faithfulness, uh, it is the, the way for the righteous to live. Uh, we're to live trusting in the promises of God. We're to live uh, trusting, uh, keep trusting, even when God's plans are difficult to understand. Uh, we're to keep trusting even when life is painful, uh, like it was for the people of Judah when Babylon invaded uh, where to keep trusting even when it does seem like maybe God has gone on a holiday and left the world to go feral. That is what God invites us to do, uh, to find salvation. But how can people live by faith when the world seems so sinful and mixed up? Well, there are three things I think that Habakkuk gives us to hold on to uh, in terms of our faith uh, as we live in a, uh, a messed up world. The first thing that Habakkuk gives us to hold on to in terms of faith is that he's going to bring perfect justice to the world. The rest of Habakkuk chapter 2, the rest of this answer to Habakkuk's concern about the Babylonians, God says, actually, I'm going to bring perfect justice to uh, the Babylonians and for all their evil. There's five woes uh, in this part of the chapter and God says... Uh, in each of them, God says, I'm going to repay the Babylonians for everything that they do in perfect justice. God says things like, the Babylonians have plundered from others. They will be plundered. The Babylonians have shamed others. They will be shamed. God is promising that, yes, in our world, often it's confusing, isn't it, to see uh, where justice really lies and how God's plans are really working out. But God is promising one day, there will be perfect justice. Uh, every single person uh, will get exactly uh, what they deserve. In, uh, and God knows that. God will, will bring that about. As we live in our sinful, messed up world, we can be confident that God has a plan for perfect justice, even if we uh, can't see what it is now. So that's the first thing that can really help us in our faith. The second thing, though, is that God doesn't just have a plan for, for judgment to uh, bring justice. He actually also has a plan for mighty salvation. He has a plan to set people free from evil and to welcome people into his new kingdom of freedom and righteousness. And we see this mighty salvation in chapter 3 of Habakkuk when Habakkuk prays to God 
And in this prayer, he actually asks God to bring about another mighty salvation, a salvation like God had done back at the start of the people of Israel when uh, he brought them out of Egypt at the time of the Exodus. Uh, Have a look at verse 2 of chapter 3. Habakkuk prays, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk knows that God has done wonderful things to save people in the past. And he prays that now he would do them again. He prays that God would not only judge evil, but would also show mercy to everyone who has faith in him. And in verses 3 to 15 of chapter 3, Habakkuk paints this vivid, poetic uh, picture of God's salvation at the time of the Exodus. Uh, It's... uh, if you look through that, those verses that Maury read for us, you might have heard the echoes of the Exodus. You might have heard uh, how uh, you know, God is uh, bringing plagues that went before God, like the, the ones that struck Pharaoh and the Egyptian. You might have read there about how God split the waters uh, just as he did at the time of the Exodus and allowed the people through. Uh, you might uh, see there how uh, God is making the sun stand still and the moon stand still again, uh, like he did at the time of the Exodus, he caused the sun to stand still so his people could find victory over their enemies. So Habakkuk is remembering back to what God did then. He's saying, God, I want to trust that you are going to do the same thing again. God doesn't just call us to have blind faith. He just doesn't say, well, I'm going to do some great things in the future. with no evidence that he's ever done anything in the past. No, God calls us to have faith on the basis of what he has done in the past, knowing that he has acted to save people before. This is where we as Christians know a whole lot more than Habakkuk did, don't we? We know so much more about God's saving plans. In fact, we kind of know that God has already answered Habakkuk's prayer to again do something great like he did at the time of the Exodus. We know as Christians that God has actually brought about a second Exodus, something even greater than that first Exodus from Egypt. God has done a second Exodus that doesn't just set one uh, nation free from one other oppressive nation. God has done a second Exodus that can set anyone from anywhere free, uh, from all the powers of sin and evil and judgment and death. The second exodus that God has brought about is through the death of Jesus. Jesus, our Passover lamb, who shed his blood and set us free from the fear of judgment. That is the even more powerful act of salvation that we know about, that Habakkuk didn't know about, Uh, Paul, in Romans chapter 1, he quotes from Habakkuk and he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. It's the work of Jesus that actually is the most 
powerful act of salvation. The new act of God that Habakkuk hoped for and prayed for. And just like the people of Habakkuk's time, we can receive this salvation by faith. We can trust that God's salvation through Jesus is more powerful than anything or anyone else. Whatever else might be going on in the world around us, Jesus is our salvation. He is the one who rescues us from judgment. He is the one who guarantees the hope of a perfect new creation where there's no more sin. As Paul says in another place, uh, the gospel is what guarantees us uh, that God loves us and that nothing can separate us from him. The second way that uh, we can strengthen our faith, uh, that we can live by faith, is to know that God has done mighty acts of salvation. So we can rely on him. And if we look back to Habakkuk and the final section of his letter, we see that as he remembers God's salvation, he can also find joy even in the midst of the suffering and turmoil around him. The last verses of this book are such a great example of faith. Verse 17 of chapter 3. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crops fail and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. Even though Judah was facing such a, a painful time of judgment, a time when God's blessing seemed far away, by faith, Habakkuk still commits himself to rejoicing in the Lord and being joyful that God is his saviour. What does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? Rejoicing is, is a tricky idea, isn't it? It's not quite the same as being happy because being happy is sort of an emotion that you're not really in control of, aren't you? Are you? Sometimes uh, you feel happy and sometimes you feel sad, uh, but that is quite dependent on the circumstances around you. Whereas here, rejoicing is something that we're called to do. Uh, we're called to actually rejoice in the Lord. It's an action that we can take. So rejoicing is a bit different from being happy, but rejoicing is also not just... Uh, a kind of uh, dry, dutiful acknowledgement. Well, God, I, I know that you're in control of this situation, even though it really sucks. Uh, that's not really rejoicing in the Lord, is it? Uh, we might, it's not just knowing that God is in control. No, to rejoice is to choose to celebrate that God is in control. It's to choose to celebrate God's salvation, no matter what happens. So I think you can actually rejoice at the same time that you're in tears. Because while you might be feeling sad, and while uh, you might be grieving things that are happening around you, you're actually choosing at the same time to rejoice in the things that you have in God. I think the first half of Habakkuk 3 is a great example of rejoicing. When Habakkuk remembers back to the time of the Exodus, uh, you don't read that part of uh, Habakkuk and just see kind of a, a bare facts about the events of the Exodus. In, in the first half of chapter 3, Habakkuk is really celebrating what God did in rescuing his people. He's written a poem about it. Uh, he's thinking it through and, and rejoicing in what God did in rescuing his people and uh, rescuing them from slavery. Rejoicing is choosing to remember the great things that God has done, 
It's choosing to give thanks for the great things that God has done. It's choosing to sing about the great things that God has done. Because the reality is, even if we are going through really difficult times at the moment, there are things, if we have faith in God, there are things that God has done for us. We are forgiven and set free from sin. We have the hope of heaven and the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been lavished with every spiritual blessing. We know that one day God will return to bring perfect justice to this messed up world. So whatever is going on around us, even uh, uh, if it is a difficult time that Habakkuk was experiencing, we can choose to rejoice in the Lord. So Habakkuk gives us these three things to help us uh, live by faith. First is to remember God's promise of perfect justice, uh, to be able to leave that in God's hands, even when uh, evil seems to be uh, done in our world with no consequences. The second thing we can do is to remember God's mighty salvation, take comfort in the fact that we are safe in Christ. And the third thing we can do is not just to remember our salvation, but to rejoice in God our Saviour, to consciously praise God, to choose to celebrate what He has done for us, even if we are sad, even if we're in times of trial. Let's pray and ask God to help us with those things now. Father in heaven, we thank you for the mighty salvation that you've worked through Jesus. We thank you that the gospel is the great power that you have worked for salvation. That Jesus, our Passover lamb, has died to set us free from sin and death and to give us the hope of eternal life. Father, as Habakkuk, I remembered your salvation at the time of the Exodus and rejoiced in it. We pray that we might remember your salvation through Jesus and we might choose to rejoice in it. Uh, help us each day to be able to give thanks to you. Help us each day to be able to sing to you and to meditate on your goodness and your kindness to us. And help us to look forward with faith to when you'll bring perfect justice to our world. We thank you for Jesus and the refuge we find in him and the power of your salvation. We pray these things in Jesus' name.